spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. And welcome to the 147th Annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad, Phil. We are experiencing a heat wave that it was, it's been 50 degrees the past two days. Snow's melting. Life's nice. wonderful. I hope it's gone for at least six months. Yeah, I got back from Iowa a week and a half ago about going from extreme cold like I was in Iowa and then coming back here and it was just instantly hot. It's kind of it's kind of weird that way, but I do not miss that cold. I feel bad for you guys having to suffer through that shit. (laughs) I mean, technically, to be fair, you lived through that for many years. Yeah, 18 long fucking terrible years and more than that, more than 24 before I went yeah, about 24 years, but I actually did have something, a little bit of a gripe that I wanted to get off my chest. So when was the last time, I, really quick, when was the last time you've been to a Catholic church, like a service? Oh, man. Uh, I went to my goddaughter's baptism about two years ago, I think. Okay. So I was back home for a funeral for my grandfather on my mother's side, and you know, I haven't been to a Catholic church in probably 10, 12 years. You know, I I don't know any of the words anymore. They've all changed anyway, whatnot. But it's kind of weird because obviously, you know, if you live in a city, everyone's still kind of dealing with the COVID protocols a little bit. But in a small town in Iowa, I guess they're not because they were still doing like the Eucharist, you know, Catholic church, the communion and no gloves. The priest didn't wash his hands before he was touching, you know, he holds up the big cracker to the sky and the bell rings, (laughs) making it, you know, Jesus, Jesus just fucking, you know, poured some salt on it or something, whatever, whatever that means. But the thing is, all of a sudden, like halfway through it, he puts down the bowl, takes a handkerchief out of his pocket, sneezes like really bad, blows his nose like folds over the handkerchief once and wipes the top of his head, like all the sweat off of his head. You could see very, very easily that he was quite sick. I was in the front row. I had a pretty good view of the whole, or second row. I had a pretty good view of the whole thing from my pew. And I could not believe how many people in that church saw him do that, put the handkerchief back in his pocket, not wash his hands, not sanitize his hands, immediately go back and start breaking up the crackers again. Then he, like, half-heartedly takes out a mask and puts it over his face and starts feeding people, like the communion, with his bare hands. It was, oh, I couldn't believe it. It was fucking disgusting. So you didn't receive the Eucharist that day, I'm I'm assuming. No, me and my brother Jason, we just fucking, we were sitting right there next to each other. I looked at him, he looked at me, we both just shook our heads no. I looked over at my sister who was on the other side of the pew with my cousin and looked at her. She was like sitting there telling my cousin like, no, we're not going up there. Fuck that shit. <laughs> all the people who, like, I guess live in that town, they're just used to it. That priest just doesn't give a fuck or something. I but. I didn't assume any of the religious leaders really gave a shit about protocols anyway. They don't answer to the government. They answer to a higher power, Phil. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's so weird seeing all of these people who, I don't know if if it just doesn't bother them, like the whole germ aspect. But even before COVID, that would have been a deal breaker for me. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not going up there. I'm not getting that shit. You know? Yeah. I can't, I couldn't imagine. I got a little bit sick, like on my way home anyway, but I couldn't imagine how horrible i would probably be feeling the whole last week if i had actually done that shit if i hadn't have seen him do that right away it's actually probably a good thing that i did because if i didn't see him like blow his nose 
and then, you know, just not wash his hands afterwards. I probably would have went up there and done it, but he's probably been doing it all fucking morning. Yeah, you would have got some weird antique wizard flu, a new strain. <laughs> <laughs> That's out. Uh, speaking of, of Catholic priests, actually, um, so the last time I, I was back home, I think it was for like Christmas, they were talking about the new priest is kind of young in town and he's kind of creepy. And I was yeah. looking through, he has a YouTube channel. One of his videos is literally titled, Bring Your Children to Me. And I'm just like, <laughs> it made me so uncomfortable. I don't know. I feel like with all the pedophilia in the Catholic Church, you should be a little self-aware of what you're saying and like how f- overly friendly you are with children. But anyway, all that aside, apparently that priest just got a DUI. So that's... <laughs> Nice. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> he probably charged it to the church, knowing how fucking corrupt that shit is. Yeah, I know. It's just like, it's so funny that he, oh man, uh, I guess in small town Iowa, it's all you can do, but yikes. It's, I don't know, that guy's creepy. I'm glad he, we didn't have to watch him when we were in school, but um yeah, but yeah. It, it remind it reminds me of the South Park episode where the Catholic priest was trying to take all of the kids on like a trip, and all of the adults like didn't want their kids to go, so they all became atheists. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, uh, off, sub- uh, off subject here. Um, well, Phil, I'll let you take over here. I'm assuming is your episode today about Catholic priests or the Catholic Church. No, it is not. That's actually coming up. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was going to do an episode on that, but it was a little bit bigger than I thought it would be. So it might be a two-parter later on. Ooh, I can't wait for that. Yeah, but I've had this idea in the works for a bit. So I'm going to throw it out there. Passing by a streetlight on a late night walk, Bill Russo began to notice that his faithful dog, Sammy, was beginning to become agitated pulling on his leash and whimpering like crazy. Now, trying to settle Sammy down and continue on his walk, Bill would begin hearing a strange noise which was coming from the woods. His woods were just a few hundred feet from his ranch-style home. These sounds sounded vaguely like a toddler, or what he thought might sound like a toddler. But what emerged from those woods and presented itself to Bill under a nearby streetlight was something far more terrifying than a lost child. Okay. Was this Dick Cheney? No, it was not Dick Cheney. But if it was, he probably should have ran like crazy. You know he would have been armed. I've heard his feet are so chubby, he sounds like a toddler running across the floor when he has his (laughs) shoes off. But I have not not confirmed that. Um, Yeah, that would... uh, I mean, this is nighttime, right? Yeah, late night walk. Even if you got your dog, that's scary, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you got to feel a little bit better having your dog with you. If your dog hears like a coyote or a wild animal, something like that, it's going to get angry, like start barking, like trying to warn you. But if your dog instantly is terrified, I mean, that's not a usual thing, especially if I'm going to get into it a little bit later on when I tell the rest of the story. His dog, he claimed, was not terrified of anything. I don't know if that's true. I bet if there's one firework or a lightning bolt, that dog's probably hiding. Yeah, possibly. That's Most dogs are what, horrified by fireworks was, and gunfire, too. Was Sasha, was Sasha your old dog, was she afraid of uh, fireworks? We never, so we lived 10 miles outside of town, so we never had any fireworks shows, like, you know, anywhere near us. Gotcha. But other dogs freaked her the fuck out because... <laughs> No, she had never seen other dogs before. So whenever one of my dad's or my mom's friends would bring their dogs over to our house, she was terrified of it. Because you got to remember, she was the only, she's a Pekingese Chihuahua, really tiny dog. Around all those cats, she thought that she was king fucking shit of cats. So Yeah, yeah, not, uh, not the usual tiny dog that tries to stand tall in every situation. Oh, yeah, no, she knew her fucking, yeah. (laughs) She might bark at cats and humans, but once other dogs came around, no deal. (laughs) Well steeped in American folklore and studied for decades by paranormal researchers, 
and obviously covered by many podcasts, including our own. The legend of Bigfoot, or Sasquatch, has dominated the lexicon of cryptid research for decades now, with the tall, introverted, and mostly camera-shy beast having sightings all over the North American continent. This cryptid, seen as a noble and lovable creature that just wants to be left alone, as it turns out. That very tall, very hairy cryptid could have possibly been sharing the same lands with a most sinister and much shorter cryptid also covered in hair. Now, supposedly, this cryptid has stalked the forests of southern Massachusetts for hundreds of years. Standing at just a couple of feet tall, it seeks out its victim in an effort to lure them to their death, in the process, stealing their souls. Okay, now, this isn't Cousin It, right? Is that the name no. of that thing from Adam's family? Yes, it is. Yep, Cousin are they, It. Are they... Where even is their house? Is that southern Massachusetts? Their house? I don't... I thought it was in California, but I'm not <laughs> Could sure. Be. Okay, quick side note. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show. Do you remember that shirt that someone gave me that says, I know Bigfoot's real, he tried to eat my ass? Yes, okay. I remember the shirt. <laughs> so at work, they posted me a picture of me on like the employee board with that shirt on, but they covered up the writing. But if you just peeled it down, you could see what it said. I've gotten asked about Bigfoot so many times at work. It's not <laughs> even funny by like the doctors, by fucking everybody there. It's uh, it's kind of the joke. Yeah. You definitely don't want to be seen as the person who, you know, if anyone has like, anyone sees like a weird documentary or something like that on paranormal shit, you really don't want to be seen as the go-to person because you're going to be in a lot of weird conversations with people you don't want to be. <laughs> so it's best, it's best to keep that shit on the low at work. You know, what's funny. So you talk about like ghosts, cryptids and stuff. People kind of give you a weird look at work. You, you're like, Hey, uh, do you know Jeffrey Dahmer? And then it's just instantly like, Oh my God. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And all, on and on and on about true crime. Uh, it, it's fascinating the difference in interest levels. Yeah, I don't get as much with the true crime. I think I might be one of the few people who actually listens to true crime or admits to it. So I play it on my speaker loud enough for everyone to hear it. I don't care. Like all the gory shit, I don't even turn it down anymore. You want to know uh, the, the secret? Um, I work with about 95% females. Um, yes. So they, ladies, they love the true crime. Yeah, I work with about 95% men, and it is pretty heavily the uh, Let's Go Brandon crowd. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. For today's episode, we're going to look into one of the lesser-known American cryptids. That is, according to legend, a dangerous trickster, which lures its prey in and leads their victims to their death, usually by a fall off of a cliff. Now, this cryptid legend first had its origins in the Native American tribes, of the North American continent, and supposedly calls parts of the forest of New England home. But before we move any further, have you ever heard of the cryptid known as Pukwudgie? I have not. Um, actually, you know what? This name sounds really familiar, but I don't know if I know much about him or him or her or they. Yeah, I may have pronounced it differently than you've heard. So all of the, like all the videos that I've listened to, for the most part, I hear it pronounced Pukwudgy. Uh, some people call it Pukwiji, Puk, you know, pretty much the same thing. And there are different spellings too. I mean, it, it, it looks like Pukwudgy. That's yeah. what I assume it would be. Yeah, this is actually also the most common spelling that I've found. So there's uh, some people have CK, some people only have the K, some people don't put a D before the G. It's a little bit weird. Uh, just kind of, it also depends on what part of the country you are. So it seems like the stopping ground for this supposed cryptid is east of the Mississippi River, north of the Mason-Dixon line. So like the Great Lakes region, New England, uh, southeastern Canada, apparently it's been spotted all throughout here. And the, I'll give you the reason why later on. But it has to do with the people who lived in these areas. Okay. And we're sure this isn't Robert Kraft. Possibly. It okay. also might be Bill Belichick. <laughs> I was going to say, always... we'd, we'd know it's Robert Kraft if it was found in um, massage parlors. <laughs> 
Getting his happy ending, but uh, <laughs> I don't think you're seeing it there. Yeah. Getting his little happy ending out there for, what, 20 bucks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a private jet to get a fucking $50 hand job. Yeah. Now, the legend of the Pukwudgie originated with the Algonquin Native American tribes of the American Northeast in the areas of New England, Eastern Canada, and the Great Lakes region, also the the most east of the Midwest, with the majority of the recent sightings coming out of southern Massachusetts in the county of Bristol, in what has now become known as the Bridgewater Triangle, which has become famous for paranormal sightings of all kinds besides the Pukwudgie, including Thunderbirds, UFOs, Ghost Armies, Glowing Orbs, and of course, Sasquatches. I think you forgot one. I am familiar with the Bridgewater Triangle. Satanic oh. cults, Phil. Yes. Well, I was going to get towards that oh, at the end. Oh, okay. All right. So oh, that's right. more That's more of a human thing. Gotcha. Okay. I just, yeah. you know how the satanic panic bullshit, so I yes. figured you got to throw that in there. Yes. And it's also the satanic panic was about 40 years ago, so it's all during the 80s. So gotcha. a lot of God, that. The problem it- is I don't. Oh, I was going to say, the problem is, a lot of that paranormal stuff, I don't really pull it in with satanic ritual, satanic cults, because that's still just kind of humans doing it. So right. it's explainable. Yeah. Right. But there's a big, uh, mostly the religious crusaders would put satanic rituals as being as evil as Sasquatch, Pukwudgie, Thunderbirds, UFOs, things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that satanic tribe or cult or whatever, like summons a demon and it comes to life and does all of its, you know, wreaks havoc. Yes, that's paranormal. That's a demon. But yeah, if it works, then yes, paranormal. If it doesn't like it usually, I'm guessing doesn't. It's just a bunch of nerds, you know, basically pretending out in the woods. I was going to say, do you think um, the Pukwudgie has ever came upon one of these satanic youth groups uh, and sat and enjoyed the Papa Roach album with them. Possibly. Okay. Yes. Okay, good, good. Now, depending on the area, a Pukwudgie can vary in motives greatly, with the Pukwudgie of the Great Lakes and Midwest areas thought to be just a good-natured trickster. Uh, doesn't really mean humans any harm. However, the view of this pint-sized cryptid changes greatly when you go more towards the Atlantic Ocean into New England, with them believing that the Pukwudgie is an evil menace, guilty of kidnapping and murder. This is all stemming from the origin story coming from the Wampanoag and Lenape tribal folklore. The Lenape are also known as the Delaware. Gotcha. Okay, so two more tribes here. Um, You know, this kind of makes sense. Midwest, people are generally nice, allegedly nice, um, and then New England, Boston, very aggressive people. Um, yes, this know. this very much does. If you've ever seen a movie set in Boston, a Pukwudgie will remind you of most of the characters from the, you know, the Boston area in the movies. <laughs> uh, ironic because today actually is St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Pukwudgie, um, closet alcoholic, yes or no? The Massachusetts one anyway. Possibly, yeah. Actually, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because... The Pukwudgie is considered, I'll kind of spoil it for the very, very end, but the Pukwudgie is kind of considered almost like a cousin to the European troll and leprechaun kind of deal. So it's kind of in the same almost family of paranormal type shit. So do you think the Pukwudgie just got, maybe he's, he just got on that boat, came to Ellis Island with the rest of the Irishmen? Oh, possibly. He probably fit in pretty well too, if you hear the description. (laughs) I hope he has yeah. long. Oh. I hope he has long red hair. Oh yeah, he actually, actually, yeah, kind of. Oh, uh, I was gonna say uh, the Algonquin is not really like a single tribe. It's almost like a a huge, like interconnected nation of tribes. It's more like a language than really like a single tribe. So the Lenape and the Wampanoag are all kind of connected with the Algonquin people. Okay. So I kind of learned a little bit about that. There's there's hundreds of tribes across, you know, they were all, you know, sadly, you know, pushed out of their lands. 
but they they made up like a large part of like the Great Lakes and the Northeast all the way down to kind of like Missouri and a little bit into Oklahoma. So gotcha. kind of this huge area. It's quite a quite a big area. Yeah, definitely. A legend states that a giant named Mashup was much beloved by the Wampanoag people and that the Pukwudgie had become jealous of the love that the local humans had had for their giant mashup. This jealousy intensified. The Pukwudgie, though, would actually do a little bit different, a little reverse psychology. He began to do good deeds for the Wampanoag people, trying to curry their favor. Though, with his attempts, they never really worked out very well, and they would always end up backfiring causing the humans much more grief than if the Pukwudgie had simply done nothing at all. So he basically, like, Mr. Beaned himself here? Mr. Magoo type of thing? Uh, He's trying to do good, but he actually did a lot of bad. Yes. Back in Cresco, it was known as Holstramine, basically. (laughs) Uh, So the Mashop, Mooshop or whatever, this is like a Pukwudgie, but, like, big... Well, no, he's not a Pukwudgie. He is, he's almost kind of like a, like a creator god type figure. Part of the legend is that he created the land that the Wampanoag people lived on, kind of in the, in the Cape regions. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Cause now, he, doesn't he sound like a new, another level of evolution from Machamp? Yes, he does. Okay. I figured you were probably, yeah, Machup, <laughs> not Machoke and Machamp. Right. Yep. Right. There's gonna be there's gonna be quite a few uh, Pokemon references kind of <laughs> okay. coming out of the woodwork from some of the names and the descriptions. So get 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 ready for that. <laughs> you know, it's funny now, actually. Speaking about um, Machoke or whatever, someone made a meme. It's like, would you rather cuddle in bed with Pikachu or would you rather cuddle in bed with Machoke? And it's just like this big muscular Pokemon cradling this person in bed. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's pretty funny. Sounds like it'd make a really creepy t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would. Now, the Wampanoag people, tired of all of the suffering caused by the Pukwudgie, pleaded to Mashup. But they ended up getting through, not to Mashup, but to Mashup's wife, Squanit. Now, Squanit is portrayed as either a woodwind or a sea creature. Squanit actually did get through to the giant Mashup. And in return, Mashup rid the land of the Pukwudgie. He did this by gathering all of the small creatures up, hurling them across the lands of New England, which killed many of them. Though the ones that did survive were obviously severely pissed off. So he just gathered up all these creatures and just shot put them across the land and killed them. Yes, yeah, pretty much doing uh, what giants do. You know, just kind of ah. toss them the fuck out of there. Got him out. Okay. Um, interesting. I don't know if he needed to be quite so violent about it, but uh, but yeah. But at least they knew if they wanted to get rude, you know, through to Mishop, uh, they got to talk to the real boss, his wife. Oh, definitely. And after I tell you like, the rest of this legend, you'll kind of figure out why it was probably a better idea to just go to Squanit in the first place. Okay. So, according to legend, the Pukwudgie, of course, returned to the area, now tormenting the humans, whom they now hated, forcing their victims to fall to their deaths, in the process, stealing their souls. Now, after the Native Americans once again called upon Mashup, Mashup, as it turns out, didn't really want to fight, so he sent his five sons to deal with the Pukwudgie. Though the Pukwudgie would actually ambush and kill all five of Mashup and Squanit's sons. Now, according to some legends, the Pukwudgie also killed Mashup and Squanit along with his sons. Though there are other, other legends that Mashup was actually grief-stricken and discouraged from fighting and left after the death of his sons. So the Pukwudgie, um, even though he basically you know just got thrown into left field uh after this guy just tossed him right um yeah somehow he's managed to defeat five of his kids shouldn't they be like gods too or demigods or something it's not just one puck 
There's there's like a many pack of them. Yeah, there's uh, many of them were killed, but the ones that survive came back, you know, with a motive, basically from the legend. I could, I you know, when I could see him being a little grumpy, um, after after uh, he did that to them. So, uh, but yeah, okay. And so one on one, they're not that powerful, but in a pack, kind of like wolves, they're very strong. Yeah. You'll kind of hear a little bit too on like their magical powers later on. Like okay. Some of the things that they can do. So one of the things I'll kind of let it out now. One of the things is they have either fire or magical arrows that they use to attack their victims. And that was supposedly the weapons that they used to ambush the sons of Mashup. So, okay. Serious question. Who would win the Pukwaji or a Catholic magician catholic magician i would say ooh, that's a tough one i mean if the puck wedgie is real then its magic is real and the catholic magician is just doing it for you know a little alone time with the kids so <laughs> okay. i would say the puck wedgie if they were real would win okay so i'm gonna assume the puck wedgie would use nature magic and the pre the catholic priest uses holy magic um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. I guess it would have to depend on their, uh, rank within the Catholic Church. Um, do you get, like, power-ups for each rank? I don't know exactly. I mean, you're pretty much just a better bullshit artist. You know, you're better at sucking money out of people. I think that's how you get your <laughs> rank within the Catholic Church, so. <laughs> now, at this point, you're probably wondering... What exactly these Pukwudgie creatures look like? So, according to legend, the Pukwudgie are short. They're usually about two to three feet tall. They have large eyes, large ears, big nose, and also large hands. Their skin is gray, very, very pale gray. And they also are said to have long spikes running down the back of their head all the way to their back. Uh, they're said to kind of look like a porcupine. Okay, uh, kind of uh, a little, they'd be kind of scary to come upon. Uh, a three-foot porcupine um, would be kind of scary. Uh, Definitely. It looks, it looks, like in my mind, it either looks like a sand shrew or like a non-blue Sonic the Hedgehog. Non-blue Sonic the Hedgehog. I like yeah, that that's one. Kinda, <laughs> that's the image I had in my mind kind of when they were describing it. Okay. Uh yeah, I could see that. What was the is Sandshrew the unevolved uh version that stupid Pokemon? Yeah, it's the one with the super basic attacks that just kind of had like scratch and, you know, leer and shit like that. Yeah. It would do like dig. That was its you know that was like the best move you could do for it. Yeah, Sandshrew, um you'd basically kill hundreds of them. Just to get your uh, Pikachu or whatever up a few levels. Just corpses of Sandshrews everywhere on Route <laughs> 5 or whatever route they're on. Oh, yeah. Laying next to all of the Pidgeys and Rattatas. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, the, them Rattatas might even be more corpses of them everywhere. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Just millions out in the wind. <laughs> now, that is actually kind of the old description of the Pukwudgie throughout the legend. More recent sightings of the Pukwudgie actually have him looking a little bit different, with smaller facial features, with the exception of large eyes. And the spikes in the gray skin have really become replaced with head-to-toe body hair, though the short stature still is, is there. Okay, could it be possible the Pukwudgie in olden times spiked his hair up like maybe a punk rocker would? And now it he's is, more of a gentleman, and he prefers just a nice uh, mane of hair like Fabio. Oh, it, that's possible, too. It's also said that the Pukwudgie has some magical abilities, which I'm about to get into. Okay. That he can actually shapeshift, that he might be shapeshifting for different people. So, for the Native American people, before the Europeans showed up, it's, I mean, maybe... He just wanted to really intimidate them, so he looked really, you know, with the spikes and the gray skin and the big snarling eyes. Maybe he wanted to look like that, but for maybe, like, modern humans or modern people, 
uh, that live in kind of like the world that we live in now, maybe he's looking different for for them. Uh, almost kind of like, you know, uh, using different tactics. So he's there. He's also able to shape shift into non-humanoid things too. So, okay, interesting. So our theory about him being Robert Kraft could be entirely possible. Yes. Well, I mean, I don't think he's a reptilian like Robert Kraft is. <laughs> uh, allegedly, of course. But <laughs> right. Yes. Of course. Now, the creepy looks of the Pukwudgie are actually just a form of one of its magic abilities, as the creature's looks are actually part of the Pukwudgie legend, as these mini cryptids are said to be able to employ a wide variety of magic abilities and weapons, including the ability to shapeshift into different forms of humanoids and also dangerous animals, including, uh, most commonly that I found, a cougar. Besides appearing like a small humanoid porcupine, also, they have the ability to glow in the dark and become completely invisible. Okay, so I'm assuming since you said glow in the dark and you, and you said they shapeshift like a cougar, so are they hunting young males then? Like, possibly. To have sex like, with that type of cougar? Yes, just like uh, Stifler's mom. Stifler's mom. Yeah, I yeah, couldn't remember. <laughs> I couldn't think of any better example than Stifler's mom, actually. I was trying to come up with one. But yes, just like Stifler's mom. Um, a funny thing, you bring up a cougar, right? So it was like a TikTok video or YouTube video or something. This guy was like in his apartment filming down into the alley. And there was a woman carrying what looked like a fucking cougar. She was carrying this cat. And the cat was like, you know how when you hold a cat... It, like, fights to get away sometimes. This big-ass yes, mountain time. lion cougar thing was, like, fighting to get away from her, and she's just carrying it down the street. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, why anyone owns those big-ass fucking, like, the big cats? I, I'll never understand that. But It, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It seems a little dangerous. <laughs> that would be a very odd, like, emotional support animal to bring onto an airplane. A live cougar just sitting right next to you. <laughs> uh, here's the other thing, though. Um, could she have been carrying a puckwudgie then? Uh, possibly. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a very good idea for it to transform into a cougar if it wants to, you know, not uh, arouse any suspicion. But True. I suppose it's better than, you know, a non-blue Sonic the Hedgehog looking <laughs> thing. <laughs> now, in one man's encounter, he had actually claimed that he had saw a puckwudgie. Though it looked a little bit different, as it had coarse hair, glowing red eyes, and as he put it, a nose like a wolf. Also, he said that when it ran away from him, it released a hauntingly deep moan. A hauntingly deep moan, okay. Yes. So, what do do we have? Is just like a like a groan almost, like a oh, or. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like uh, Stan's dad when he died in World of Warcraft. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so what what happened to this man after that? Uh, it ran away from him. Okay, and that's he so that's, never saw it again. That's, that's it. The end of the story. Okay. Yep. All right. So <laughs> why was the Pukwudgie afraid of him then? I don't know. It's only the story that I read. I. I don't think they interviewed the Pukwudgie after the encounter. <laughs> There's two sides to these things, Phil. Yeah, I realize that. It was just the just the man's side of the story. That was just to kind of give you an idea of, you know, different ways that it can look. Gotcha. Now, aside from changing its looks, the Pukwudgie also uses its magic abilities to stun and hypnotize its victims, causing them to lose their way in the forest. Also to harm themselves in the process while they're lost. They even hypnotize their victims in an effort to force them into falling off of a cliff to their death. But besides this form of hypnosis, the Pukwudgie also uses fiery arrows and poisonous arrows. This is an attempt to kill their targets. It's said that with these arrows, they can kill in one shot. Also, they fight using the spikes on their back and hand-to-hand -hand combat weapons, like knives or spears. So these, okay, you you weren't lying. These things are quite uh, dangerous. Quite a few skills here. Um, 
Poison arrows, interesting choice. Here's the interesting thing. They have the ability to kill, but they prefer for people to choose to jump off a cliff. Yeah, it almost kind of seems like they are uh, like like they're tricksters. So they're almost trying to get you to follow them, even though you really shouldn't follow them. They're trying to get you to follow them into the forest and then kind of almost kill yourself. I'll get into it a little bit later, but really it's the whole idea about them trying to steal your soul, trying to get your soul to work for them that they're trying to accomplish there. Just got to say, Phil, a lot of uh, correlation between a Pukwudgie and uh, Dick Cheney. Yes, of course. I mean, like we've mentioned in previous episodes, he keeps all of his souls trapped in the basement in crystal balls. Right. He so. uh, he he sprinkles them over his morning uh, uh, cereal, and he has a fresh bowl of uh, young children's souls every day to uh, keep up his youth. Yes, of course. He uses his magic ability of birdshot to the face. So. <laughs> now... Different stories also tell of the Pukwudgie creatures throwing sand in its opponent's eyes to blind or stun them, much like a a Pokemon, a sand shrew. Okay, alright. Now getting back into Bill Russo's story from the start of the episode, like I mentioned, his dog Sammy was going absolutely berserk. This was when Bill Russo heard a strange noise coming from the dark. This noise sounded like a pleading child. Now, according to Bill, these were the exact sounds that the creature made, and I'm going to say them right now and sound like an idiot, but <laughs> the sounds sounded like, Kerr, Kerr, Iwachu, Kerr, 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 Iwachu. I, uh, I think I've solved the case, Phil. These are fucking Ewoks from the <laughs> Endor moon, because <laughs> that is exactly what that shit sounds like. Oh, yeah, definitely. You had a little growling, and you got these little... No, actually, think about this. Ewoks, they've got bows. They've got arrows. They've got flaming arrows. They've got spears. They've got knives. And I'm assuming they'll throw sand. Jesus Christ, you cracked the fucking case. Yeah. So, actually, that would be be the second instance of Pukwudgie showing up in pop culture. So... Okay. Uh, the funny thing. So yeah, actually, you're you could be really onto something because <laughs> they also use deception, and they are ferocious little beasts. Is so. this Bill Russo a like pen name for George Lucas? Possibly, it could be. Actually, Bill Russo did get into some. Uh, he was a fiction writer, also. He he was a writer, so possibly you know maybe George Lucas got the idea from him. Who knows? It uh, well, could be. So this this supposed sighting happened after Star Wars. So hey, you know what? Uh, maybe it was a Tulpa. George Lucas created the Ewok, and everybody started talking about the Ewok. The Ewoks from Endor became real things, and now they are uh, tormenting people and possibly killing them. Definitely. Yeah. You always forget about Topas, but sometimes when people have an idea, it kind of you know makes itself real it's a good blanket explanation that's complete bullshit but it sounds good yeah so actually the puck also show up in the harry potter books as well really yeah it's kind of really it's 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 one of those deals where you almost have to like look it up on the internet just kind of where jk rowling just kind of made it into like a mascot or like one of the houses or one of the groups or something. I didn't look that much into it, but it's just kind of weird that you you mentioned that, and I was like, oh well, that brings up you know how it's kind of in the Potter verse. So. so is is that thing in the movie too? It's not really in the movie. Okay. No. It might be. It might be. I've never. I it, it wasn't a big part in the movie at least, but it's just kind of like this little little snippet I found online. Because I feel like I've heard Puck Wudgie before, but um, I'm sure maybe it's just I. You know, heard it through other podcast shit or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I have heard of Pukwudgie before, but it's it's not really as big as, like, Sasquatch or Mothman, you gotcha. know, Nessie, all of those. So it's, it doesn't really take up the landscape that some of the bigwigs are taking up. Right, right. That makes sense. So, the creature making the strange noise would emerge from the darkness 
It had stood only about three to four feet tall. This creature was covered in thick fur and oddly had a large pot belly that hung over its thighs. Now, with its small, paw-like hand, it motioned towards Bill Russo, as if it wanted him to move closer, underneath the streetlights. Though, Bill stood still, still wondering, perhaps this was actually just a small, lost child. He would ask this child, are you okay? Do you need help? Do you know where your home is? Though, at the same time, his dog Sammy was now shaking terribly and whimpering like crazy. His dog was also unable to look this creature in the eyes. And according to Bill Russo's story, he gives examples of how his dog really showed no fear. Okay, he might be bragging about his dog just a little too much, but... Uh, Almost that... like he's selling it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other thing, thick fur, pot belly, and a small paw. P Phil, this is a fucking Ewok. Yeah. I they mean, got a pot belly on it, him. The pot belly, according to the artist renditions, it doesn't really look like an Ewok. It's not as cute. <laughs> it is a, it is an ugly little fucker, according to the artist renditions. Well, from so. the sounds of their encounter, I would guess this might have been an Ewok sex worker who is trying to get Bill to come over there and may possibly pay for a hand job. <laughs> Coming out of the forest. Yeah. And, like maybe like a meth, like a meth head prostitute <laughs> coming out of some woods <laughs> under a streetlight. Yeah, it could come be. here. It could be. <laughs> come here, big boy. <laughs> yeah. Continuing on, after a short time, Bill Russo would eventually snap out of whatever kind of spell or hypnosis he was under, and he realized that this was no human child. Uh, so he got Sammy to start moving, and he would walk away from the creature that was standing underneath that streetlight, making his way back home, where he would actually stay up all night thinking about this extremely strange encounter with the unknown cryptid trying to figure out what it actually could have been saying to him eventually he would settle on the thought that Kerr Kerr was actually here here that he was summoning Bill trying to get him to come closer and Iwashu was actually we want you <sighs> again Leaning into the Ewok sex worker here, Phil, <laughs> it just seems like <sighs> she's saying, like you said, here, here, come here, big boy. Come on over here. I don't know. Um, I think it's a little bit of a jump saying here, here as here, here, maybe. You'd assume maybe they had their own language. Yeah, you also have to remember, too, that none of this was recorded. This is all just kind of him saying it. So, okay. I mean, you know, for the purposes of the episode, obviously I'm pretty skeptical. I don't believe anybody, but, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's made a name for himself off of this. Let's just say I'll kind of get into it right now. But okay. for years, William Russo actually kept his encounter, according to himself, he kept it a secret, though he would eventually write down this experience and speak on his paranormal experience on uh, television shows, he would do interviews. He would also make this story one of the most famous recent sightings of a Pukwudgie. Though I should also say that he was a writer before he had experienced his now infamous tale, and he has even written other accounts of the paranormal that are absolutely fictional. So, yeah, not a total L. Ron Hubbard, yeah. but a little L. Ron Hubbardy. That's a that's um. That's exactly who I was thinking of, L. Ron Hubbard or I think Philip K. Dick, uh, famous UFO guy. I think he, yes. he wrote a lot of fiction and then he wrote like a realistic uh, nonfiction UFO book. So, you know what? Um, I got to say, if this was his a work of his like fictional writing that he tried to make true, uh, could have done a lot better. Just going to say that. This is obviously a very shorthand story that I just told you. He goes into a lot greater detail, and you can tell that he kind of presents it. He's presented it many times. So when he presents it, he does, you know, the hand motions and he does it very well. Yeah, it's it's very it's very basic. There's it's just an encounter. There's, you know, he he claims that basically he was standing in front of it for about 30 seconds and then he just kind of moved around it and walked away. And he claimed that it never followed him home or anything. 
So. So he walked like directly by it, but just pretended like it wasn't there. Yep, just like it was a fucking homeless person. Just kind of, you know, gave it a lot of wide berth and just walked around it, basically. So he's probably like, these damn vagrants getting awfully aggressive, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, the meth heads are out in force tonight. Yeah. Of course, he lived out in kind of a rural part of, you know, rural area. Well, but... then they're definitely meth heads. Oh, yeah. Yep. What if it was a meth they're head? Out they're out there trying to steal his anhydrous ammonia. What if it was a meth head... Uh, who is tweaking out so hard, he was dressed like an Ewok. Possibly. You know yeah. what? That could happen. Yep. <laughs> now, another story involves a woman named Joan. Uh, she was also walking her dog early one morning. This was just outside of Freetown, Massachusetts. Kind of a really important center of the whole Puckwudgie legend. Uh, this was when her dog became very anxious and strayed away from her side. The dog would then move deeper into the woods. When Joan approached her dog, Sid, he was actually lying flat on the ground. Uh, about 10 feet in front of her dog, Sid, was standing on a rock, a short, gray-skinned creature with large facial features and a huge pot belly. According to her, it was down below his knees. Kind of like an, like an old man at the gym locker room, you'll see. Ah, uh, his belly was hanging below his knees. Yes, yep. That's a very large belly. Definitely. Yeah, uh, like a vagrant Santa. <laughs> Meth head Santa now. Um, yep. Yeah, I don't know. That's a really weird one. Um, again, with the dogs, do the Pukwudgies not like dogs? I don't know. It seems like they would much rather just kind of, you know, happen upon a human as the dogs really do not. Uh, this well, her dog um, was scared, but it seems to have kind of like lied down and just, you know, didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, the guy before his dog, Sammy, uh, you know, was agitated and basically pissing itself scared. So it seems like dogs have like an, almost an unpredictable reaction to a puckwudgie. Hmm. I wonder if that goes for all animals then. If it's I'm like, not sure. You know, obviously people would say uh, animals have a different sense for paranormal things. And I suppose with the keen sense of smell and hearing that they have, uh, they could probably notice this, this thing from much greater distance. Oh, you mean like how a cat can seem to sense when ghosts are around? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. A cat my... probably wouldn't even be bothered by a puck wedgie. No, absolutely not. Um probably would go bite it or something and then uh and then run away. Yeah, just like they do with humans. Yeah. <laughs> now according to Joan, this encounter with the puck wedgie was very short, with her dog who had been lying on the ground, now jumping up and running out of the woods. According to Joan, the dog dragged her right along with him. Uh, she apparently was still holding the leash. Now, over the next few months, Joan would actually see the monster, periodically peering through her window. Okay, uh, this is getting a little creepier then. Yeah, I should also say too that in the story, it kind of caveated at the end that she claims that she was always wide awake when she saw it and she was able to move. So I'm thinking that basically she had gotten a lot of people saying, are you sure you didn't just have sleep paralysis? Yeah, that definitely could be. Uh, here's the other thing. Like her dog dragging her while she still had the leash on. Like that's such a cartoon thing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Kind of like, a, you know, Gooby-Doo type yes, situation. Yes, yes, Just totally ludicrous. Um, Are the, I don't know, do, the Puckwudgies known for being te peeping Toms? Well, I mean, it's kind of, so the best thing to do, all the legends say, is just to avoid them and hope that they just leave you alone and don't attack you or don't follow you. So, I mean, maybe they can become kind of like connected to a single person. Um, I will say, though, one problem I have with this story from the... I don't know if it's the real name of the person is Joan or if that's just uh, kind of like a fake name that they gave. But she claims that the dog kind of like got away from her and wandered her into the forest. Unless it was one of those leashes 
that like allows them to have a like a long distance and then you can basically like you know pull the leash back in right i don't understand how she was able to let it wander off and then it dragged her away unless it was that kind of leash possibly it was but um it doesn't really mention it so that's a little bit weird part of the story but that's just me like kind of nitpicking it well i mean it's kind of an important detail um she says the dog went into the woods Somehow she was still attached to the leash and then the dog was pulling her and she's just whipping in the wind like a fucking banner hanging (laughs) behind a plane when it's flying. Like, I don't know, Joan. Yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, I don't like to usually I don't like to like crush the 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 conspiracy or the cryptid, whatever. But I mean, you love cryptids. I'm a little bit more skeptical. But whenever I hear a story, I always kind of think like, uh, some of these, you know, parts are a little bit weird. Right. But finish off this portion of the episode one of the strangest aspects of the Pukwudgie legends of the you know old and the recent encounters is that light orbs tend to follow them around and they show up whenever one of these creatures is near now according to legend these orbs are the trapped souls of the native americans that had fallen victim to the Pukwudgie cryptid these orbs were actually given the wampanoag name Te Pe Wonkas, and are used to lure in more victims. This is by getting them to follow the strange lights deeper into the forest. You know what this reminds me of? Goddamn Pennywise. Yes. Remember he has the lights and people get perplexed by it and then he he eats them and all of that? I don't know if Maine is actually part of New England, but it's also, you know, up in the Atlantic Northeast. So Right. I, you know, obviously Stephen King probably got his ideas from somewhere, but uh, it's a very interesting connection. So here's the interesting thing. If the Pukwudgie, these light orbs are souls uh, of Native Americans, does that mean they've only killed Native Americans then? No, I mean, there are, there's disappearances and deaths from the past century that have been attributed to the Pukwudgie. But also, you know, it was really hard to find murderers and serial killers 100 years ago. So Good call. Uh, here's yeah. the other thing. So let's just say hypothetically, the Pukwudgie somehow does kill Dick Cheney, right? Yes. There wouldn't be no soul there. What are they going to do with them? Yeah, I don't know. It, they, might, they might just let him walk away, honestly. Or... They might distract him in the forest and then run into his basement and steal all the stole steal steal all the souls that he has stored down there. Especially yeah. you know, George Bush's. Good. Uh junior and senior, by the way. Yeah, he yep. he Yeah, I guess that would be quite a little treasure fine for them, but uh but uh but yeah, they're very unique little creatures. The lights, right? Uh we see lights, hear about lights in quite a few different paranormal events so there's that connection right oh yeah definitely so one last little bit before i get into the explanations there was one event that i found which occurred where a man named tim he actually saw these strange orbs and he really did have an interest in ufos seeing these orbs you know obviously you see orbs and that's always tied to aliens he wanted to actually get a picture of these lights though after he chased the lights into the forest Supposedly, a two-foot-tall Pukwudgie was standing there. This scared the hell out of Tim and caused him to run like hell back to the path. Apparently, the Pukwudgie, after he ran away, just kind of scurried back into the forest. Huh, okay. Uh, Tim, I mean, I wonder if that would have meant it was probably dark out, right? Oh, yeah. These always seem to occur either at night or in the early morning. A lot, like... A lot of paranormal events seem to occur at night or in the morning. Is, is it safe to assume maybe they're nocturnal creatures then? I would imagine. I mean, just like, you know, like most animals are nocturnal, I suppose. If he wanted to get a picture of the lights, right? Why wouldn't he, If and he was seeing them in front of him, why not just take a picture then there? Why did he go into the forest? Well... So supposedly the lights are almost kind of like, I think it's a European legend of the Will-O-Wisps. And these lights supposedly kind of like dance around the trees and kind of like you see. So there's also stories of seeing them like floating down the river. 
and people thinking gotcha. that they're UFOs, but also kind of this Pukwudgie legend coming in where uh, the people who were seeing them on the river, there was maybe a Pukwudgie nearby. So Gotcha. Okay. I suppose that's kind of where that, like, spirits in the forest thing probably comes in and things like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, kind of like uh, the whole, well, it's big in, like, Nordic culture is kind of like the uh, the little, you know, almost like what whatever the fuck Tinkerbell was. Those little <laughs> things like living in trees and yeah. how the people in Iceland kind of, like, make little houses for them and shit. The fairies. The fairies, yep. There you go. Fairies you go. is the word I was coming up with. So uh, with all the information you've laid out in front of us, Phil, here, what uh, do you think this thing actually is? Well, obviously, kind of, you know, with any cryptid, there's always a lot of people who actually believe in it think it obviously is that cryptid. So that's kind of, um, I'm going to go with really that first off. Obviously, it's the easiest one to kind of say it is that this thing is real and that it's actually out there and that all of the legends are true. It definitely has magical powers and that it's real. So That's my first one. That's kind of the easy, you know, the easy pass one, though. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the baseline, uh, especially since that's essentially what your entire episode's about. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that's like the easy one, kind of easy one to explain. There's also what some people believe that the Sasquatch actually is, and that is kind of an agent for extraterrestrials or possibly a shape-shifting alien itself. Okay, this is an interesting one because... It definitely could be along the lines of Bigfoot, because what Bigfoot is either, I don't know, a scout or something for them, or he, like, comes in and out of our dimension or our reality. So maybe that's what the Pukwudgie is as well. Yeah, just like how the Sasquatch is often seen with, like, UFO or extraterrestrial kind of, like, events, the Pukwudgie is also seen with these floating orbs around it. And aliens are also, you know, the biggest thing about aliens really is kind of like the floating lights that people see. Usually before right. there's any kind of contact, like seeing an actual extraterrestrial alien. Right, right. Another explanation is that these are kind of just like a cousin from Europe. Like we were mentioning before, that these are some kind of like fairy or troll or some kind of magical creature that really just, I mean... If it's real or not, who knows? But the stories, it's kind of like a common story that keeps getting told all around the world. It's not even necessarily shared through contact. Kind of just uh, an idea that people have. Okay, so now the European trolls generally are hairless though, right? Yeah. Uh, there's There's also the really ugly kind of trolls too. The big ugly ones. Right. Like, um, what's his name? Patrick Ewing. Uh, so yes, yes, definitely. Just like Patrick Ewing. Uh, so I would recommend any, but by the way, soft, uh, little side note here, movie called troll hunter. Very, very cool movie. If, uh, uh, if you're really into trolls, um, but <laughs> I thought I you were talking about the, uh, the Disney movie trolls. No, no. Uh, that one has too, too much satanic imagery in it for me. Um, yeah. No, they have a found footage-ish movie about this guy who hunts trolls, but it does take place in Norway, I believe, which is interesting. Okay, gotcha. Actually, you kind of pushed me into my next one, which is actually, it's possibly a demon or part of a satanic ritual. So, like, they, the, uh, the Papa Roach kids might have summoned this thing. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, so... Apparently, there was in the Bridgewater Triangle, there's been a lot of supposed satanic activity, these satanic ritual groups, the cults actually coming in there and, you know, doing their thing like in these forests. So it's the idea that possibly they may have summoned a demon that now lives in these forests. And, you know, there's the idea of demons being able to shape shift and have these magical abilities. Um, also, you know, demons and aliens, like a lot of people kind of, mis- you know, describe them as looking similar uh, with the gray skin and kind of the weird features. Right. I mean, when you honestly, when you said gray skin at the beginning, 
Uh, I thought of an alien immediately, but I think the the demon thing, interesting concept, but I think because the Pukwudgie is such an old Native American thing, yes. uh, I don't know about that, but I guess they did have demons and stuff as well. Yeah. Also, so as I was, like, I was reading a few articles, they were talking about how kind of like the culture changed when Christianity started getting introduced to the Wampanoag people. So it's almost like they took uh, sometimes a, like a new uh, religion will imprint on the old. So it's possible that the Pukwudgie kind of almost turned into a demon. Well, I mean, yeah, all religions usually have a boogeyman of some kind. Um, yep. You know, they might not have called theirs demons, but like you said, you can just kind of uh, overlay the demon with the bad guy in their um, in their lore, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, we were talking about Mashup at the beginning of the episode, the giant who was possibly killed by the Akwaji in their legends. I mean, if the Mashup character is their god character, then, you know, his foes would be the Pukwudgie. Right. Exactly. Just like Satan and God and whatnot. Exactly. All the other bullshit. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So also, there's obviously my favorite, and I always save it for last. This is either just sleep paralysis or extremely vivid dreams that the victims are having. Now, I mean, just like with that woman, Joan, who had the sighting, and then the Pukwudgie kept coming back to her window. That's a very common sleep paralysis nightmare. That you see someone peeking at you through your window. Yes, or they're in your room with you, um, you know, like a little demon. Uh, everyone, you know, everyone's sleep paralysis demon's a little different, you know, kind of curtailed to them because their own brain's making it up. But these could either be possibly she was having a, like, possibly these people were having a vivid dream. They thought they were out walking their dogs, but actually they were sleeping. Right. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. Be kind of weird for the three of them to have very similar ones. Do you know what I mean? Well, you have to remember too. It's not like they were the first people to see this legend, and then they found out there's something called a Pukwudgie. Right. This, this legend existed in this area for well hundreds of years through the Native American traditions too. So it's not like the you know it's kind of like people who claim that they have a like an alien experience or they're like abducted by aliens and then they claim oh and then i looked on the internet and it turns out there's these things called aliens and i was like wow that looks just like what i saw they've obviously they live in a modern society they've seen what an alien looks like in media yeah you know yeah i i totally agree with that so phil if you were to take an educated guess here um what do you what do you think in this thing is Ooh, I really do like the idea that you had of the topas now. I kind of like that. That's kind of fun. But it's a little too old to be created by George Lucas. So I'm going to say sleep paralysis. What do you think? What's, uh, what's your best explanation? I would say, okay, my number one has to be the Ewok sex worker. That's my number one. Yep. Number two, yeah, I would say misidentification that's the one i think it probably is um yep. the science fiction writer i don't know if you can trust him at all the other people you know maybe if this guy was running through the woods it could have been a fucking stump with moss on it you know middle of the night he's scared already because he's chasing ufo lights he pisses and shits his pants when he sees this stump with moss on it runs out of there you got a puck uh, Joan, I think she might have been just been really lonely and um, just wanted a companion. <laughs> I or wanted a fun story to tell. Right. Yeah. Something to tell the ladies down at the uh, at the local watering hole. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting story, especially since it's existed for, like you said, hundreds of years. Um, so it yeah. does make you wonder a little bit uh, if maybe there is something weird out there and you just... You just don't know it. Yeah, the obvious answer that I didn't really put in here, because I, I really, 
I used to say it a lot, but I try not to say it anymore. I mean, maybe they just fucking made this shit up. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of, like, like a lot of the alien UFO encounters, a lot of the Bigfoot Sasquatch stories too. A lot of that is just kind of fucking made up. So possibly, I mean, with, you know, Bill Russo, I'm not saying he definitely made it up, but I always hate it when I hear that. Oh, and then it turns out I'm actually a writer. So I wrote about it and I have this book just like, if you remember the tall whites, the story of the UFOs, yep. he went on to become a writer. He wrote like eight books and all of that. It's like, did you want to become a writer before you met the aliens or after that, that <laughs> kind of situation? So. It, it, it is funny you bring that up because um, that possible explanation for pretty much every episode we've ever covered here seems to be the most taboo one um, saying, yeah. you know what? Probably just made it up. You know, interesting, <laughs> uh, interesting in the paranormal world, isn't it? But yeah, uh, the uh, the episodes aren't very fun when we immediately just say, no, oh, they probably just fucking made it up. They're probably <laughs> just full of shit. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, any of our fans out there, all you listeners, if you've encountered a Pukwudgie and you want to tell us about it, where can they do that, Phil? Yes. Give us any uh, descriptions of your Pukwudgie meth head, I guess, uh, sex workers on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of us on our Instagram account, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Uh, got actually a couple of messages last week, some really good responses. You know, love to hear them, all the likes. Uh, we've also gotten a couple of uh, reviews online. It's great. Uh, Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts, minus SDPodPhil. Cody, you got one? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Cody's Above. Uh, send me messages, re- uh, episode recommendations, all the good stuff. Thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, the last thing I need you guys to do is to log on iTunes, leave the show a five-star review. doesn't really matter what you say as long as it's a five-star review. If you're a Spotify user, it's even easier. You just have to click the five-star on there. You don't have to type or anything. Uh, it shoots us up the charts and helps us you know, reach a larger audience. Uh, we That's kind of the goal of the podcast. So thank you to everybody who's done that. Uh, otherwise, great episode, Phil. We love to get weird and wacky with a very strange-looking cryptid. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.